Hello and welcome to the podcast series Raw Talent with me, Fiona Abrahams, where I am deep diving behind the scenes into the careers, aspirations and inspiration of the many talented and skilled individuals who enable the fashion and creative industries to feed our passion for clothing and product. Throughout this podcast series, I will be reaching out to the global community, looking at the industry through their eyes, asking people to share insights about the work they do, how they got started, their most compelling experiences, the trials and tribulations they have faced and overcome, who they have met along the way, the lasting friendships formed, the part culture plays in the work they do, and their thoughts on the future of the industry following this pandemic. Here we are at episode five of Raw Talent, and today I'm speaking with the fashion designer, Kate Crossy, who I first met at Epsom while studying fashion design. Kate was on the adjacent design and illustration course. In 2006, I was in Barney's on Collins Avenue in Miami. When someone calls out my name, I turned around and there was Kate. In a twist of fate, we discovered that we were also staying in the same hotel and we ended up cashing up on the beach on the last 15 years. Kate has an exceptional eye for style. Over the years, she has designed for pretty much every category, from girls' wear to women's wear, progressing her career from Miss Selfridge, M&S, Tesco, Monsoon and Debenhams, where she is currently head of footwear and accessories. One of the things I hear a lot from fashion designers working for big retailers is the wish that they can have more of a free reign in being able to bring the product vision to market as authentically as possible through both manufacturing and storytelling to capture the spirit of the consumer at the right time. And we will be exploring this further in our chat today. Kate, it is lovely to see you again. Thank you. Lovely to see you too on this beautiful sunny day. On this beautiful Another sunny day. I can tell day. that you've been enjoying the weather. <laughs> I, have. I have. I have actually been in Ibiza for three weeks. I don't know. I can tell. Know. Yeah, you oh look God. amazing. I mean, you look so well, as always. I think we should um, start by sharing how we, how we first met. Cast your mind back. <laughs> A long time ago, yes. A long time ago. Was it university? (laughs) We met at Epsom, didn't we? (laughs) We were both both at Epsom. Four years. You were four years as well, was it? I was two. I did, um, because I started out in Hounslow, Hounslow College, and got myself into Epsom. Quite a funny story. Uh, Hounslow was really, um, at the time, it was, it, it saw itself as being a bit downtrodden, bless it. I don't know why, but they did. Um, but they had this fantastic course that was accessible to somebody like myself who'd gone to a terrible comprehensive and had five years of bullying. I just scraped out, scraped through enough GCSEs to get into university. I, that would never have happened. Had um, this college course not been there that did fashion, I'd never found my way to Epsom, but actually they wouldn't allow me to apply to Epsom. I don't know if I ever told you this story. The only colleges we were allowed to apply to were places like LCF, Ravensbourne, Brighton, Bournemouth. And I didn't want to go to any of those because they all did specialisms that I didn't want to do. I wanted to do tailoring. And I lived in Long Ditton in Surrey. So Epsom for me was perfect because I, I think I, I think I might have been driving by that point. Like my mum had an old banger that she gave me and she upgraded and I really wanted to go to Epsom. So I applied behind the tutor's backs as you could in those days. And the day we all came into college to, to announce where we were going and I said, I've got into Epsom. They never spoke to me again. I've never forgotten the look of Trisha, the tutor who just looked at me like she wanted to murder me and she never spoke to me again. And then I heard through the industry, through candidates years later, that she never stopped bragging about it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was, story. It was a funny time, I have to admit. I know. How tutors were very um, specific about who they liked and who they didn't. And thankfully, I think I kind of was in the middle of the liked bracket but yeah so I went to I went to Epsom I went to a very um 
middle class school in Guildford, just a, a local comp. Um, but, you know, I loved everything there was to love about design. And, you know, it's not like I was surrounded by trendy kids. But um, I realised that was going to be something I wanted to do. And actually, my mum was great. My mum, you know, being the third child, she was a bit like, mm, you know, she doesn't have to be super academic. Um, but I can see that she's got this kind of skill. So she helped me quite a lot with my portfolio, actually. And I had interviews oh. with the famous Josie. Can't remember so did name. I with Josie, yeah, right Josie, who was just mental. Amazing. Just looked up to her. I thought she was amazing. I thought she was um, amazing. Anyway, so I got into <laughs> Epsom, um, and I think the thing about Epsom, about fashion college for me, and I think a lot of people who've been through college, fashion college, would probably feel this and identify with this, is that. You know, maybe school was okay, but it wasn't until you actually got to fashion college you realised that you were doing something that you were really good at and actually that people appreciated and tutors appreciated it. So that sense of achievement in my education definitely happened the minute I stepped into fashion college. Um, and I have to say, you know, those years were the best years ever. Made so obviously made you, but you know, I'm still best friends with um, two or three of the girls that I went to, and boys that I went to college with. Aww. And by God, did we work hard? Did we, we work really work hard? hard. Oh, but then we all it was baptism of fire, wasn't it? That course, <laughs> both those courses that we did, they were yeah. real baptism of fire. I mean, they were relentless. It was. But they were the making of us as well yeah. because they really did set the they really did set the tone for then how you would go on and perform in your work career and how dedicated you would be. You really learned to plan, you learned to project manage. We had a crazy workload and not enough time ever to do anything. I always remember that. And I think yeah, and I I absolutely agree with all of that. And I think one of the things that actually happened not just in fashion college but in art colleges per se is that whole idea of the critique yeah um, and I think you know you don't maybe maybe you know that happens in university too but that sense of um, you know being in a situation with a crowd of people you respect and love giving you their feedback be it honest or not or biased but giving you feedback on your work is yeah. something that you sets the kind of groundwork for or, or the foundation for how you perform as a designer in, in retail actually yeah. or within a brand because you know you are constantly having to present ideas designs innovations and there's constant feedback on whether that's going to work or not work like not liked you know and that's a daily part of the job and actually that's a a good foundation you know there are lots of things at, un at university at college that um I think lacked in terms of giving us the foundation to understand where most of our careers would end up oh totally um, yeah, yeah. And, you I know and I, I would say that you know I'd, I'd hope if in my later years if I decided to teach I could actually give some of that information and some yes. of that understanding Absolutely. of the because we didn't have a clue. We didn't have, we didn't a, clue have a clue how, no. how to product develop and buy and retail a product. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's something um, I'd be quite interested, actually, to, to be part yeah. of. Yeah, it was all very aspirational at the time. And I think, actually, a lot of the, a lot of the colleges and universities were very, very aspirationally focused. But there was also, I always remember myself, the commercial element was really strong for me. And I always wanted to design clothes that people could wear. And doing the job that I do, I found all my university work some years ago. And I looked through it and I was actually amazed at how good it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we work so hard. I know. I mean, unbelievable the skills that we learned in such a short yeah. period of time. Yeah. Although, so in my my third and fourth year which was fashion illustration communication so I wasn't producing a collection at this point um and yeah. I've done that in the first two years I found no disrespect to any of my tutors or the college at the time but I did find it a bit dull so <laughs> I ended up <laughs> I ended up plus about all my best friends weren't there anymore so that I oh. moved on so um I got myself out in industry um yeah. and actually I thank my tutors for allowing me to do that um, and I spent a lot of time working. Oh God, who did I work for? I worked for Lynn Franks, which was quite oh, interesting. Wow, that's a name from back in the day. Yeah, that was a yeah. whole new world, which I knew yeah. nothing about. No. 
worked for Red or Dead. Um, wow. Oh my gosh. And then I worked for, which was the best gig ever, and I'll never forget this, because I got a call from one of the tutors that said, uh, you've got an interview. We'd like to put you forward for an interview for a, a company called um, Little Italy, and they're run by this couple called Lu- Luisa and Tiziano Mazzilli who um, owned this amazing design um, agency based in Padova, which is, um, or Este, just outside Padova in, in northern Italy. Would you like to go for an interview at Blake's Hotel? And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I turned up at Blake's, um, which is just the most extraordinary hotel, really beautiful. Um, and I had this interview with these two crazies who I just instantly loved. I thought they were mad. Um, <laughs> uh, husband and wife couple who yeah. subsequently owned Voyage. Do you remember Voyage? Yes, I do remember that. that where you had to knock on the door to get yeah, in. that's right. Yeah, I do remember. I've got a story about that, but I'll tell you later. So I went to work. They, I got the gig and I went to work I for think. them in Italy for the last three months of my um, second year, fourth year. Oh, wow. How fantastic. <laughs> Palazzo, so they had the most amazing villa up in the hills with a butler, and they had this palazzo kind of thing with um, and a studio on one side. And in the studio, it had like in frescoes on the wall. And I remember the first time I'd ever seen a color copier. I mean, this wow. is how long ago it was. So I had this amazing color copier, which was like, oh, God, I can't believe it. <laughs> um, and we worked for um, designing for American Eno and Francesco Scorsese and Replay and all these kind of Italian jeanswear brands that were really cool back then. Amazing. And that was the most amazing experience. I've oh, never known. Like Louise would, um, she'd go up, they had their own um, like antique clothing museum. Yeah, and she go up into the museum, which was on one of the levels in this palazzo, and she'd bring down a little negligee and say, "Design me a collection around this." And, you know, oh, yeah. that's exciting! So it was genius. And then, of course, when I left, I had you know everything photocopied. I had the most incredible yes. I had wow. everything photocopied. Well, so that was start. Yeah, that was how you got start. started, basically. And it then, is. where did you go on from there? What was your first job? Well, so on that. In that job, I met a lovely girl called Kathy Brett, who um, had come back prior to... I mean, they'd asked me not to go back and finish my course. And I said, no, 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 I've got to go back. So I went back and Kathy called me and said, look, I've come back and I'm working for a company called The Fashion Service. It's a fashion forecasting company based in London, New York and Paris. Uh, and we're looking for somebody, would you like to come? And I was like, yeah, loved it. So um, I met with Linda Arnaud, who ran the company. She was American. And her husband was a guy called Michelle Arnaud, who was a catwalk photographer for Vogue. Yes, I know his name. Yeah. Yeah. So I started there. And, um, oh. and that was quite incredible, really, because it was the foundation. Really, I would say it was like an apprenticeship for me. Because yeah. I did everything from designing yeah. to editing the catwalks in Paris um we would I mean I was taking people pictures before Tommy Town was even born I mean used I used to hang out on South Moulton Street or I'd get sent to Ibiza and I have to go and take photographs in the nightclubs and you know in the shops and buy some fantastic what a brilliant grounding you really learn everything at the very beginning everything and in those days we used to put trend books together but it wasn't digital we'd hand draw everything cut it out run it through a wax machine and then paste it up and then write the copy on a computer and paste that in and then send it to the printer like 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 an old newspaper wow that was incredible and I did enjoy I learned so much there and I got to go with Michelle I used to go to the Paris shows and you know I'd run boxes of slides up to the lab because pre-digital you know up to yeah. the lab then take the slides over to Liz Tilberis who would be staying at the Creon or, or you know the hotel oh I can't remember there's so many amazing hotels <laughs> so um, nice. yeah so I used to run up with this you know and leave and these little boxes and boxes and boxes of 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 the catwalks which we would have sat over a light box all day long editing yeah, so that was an amazing start. Um, yeah. You know, I fell in love with, with fashion from that point. But fashion forecasting, even though that's kind of my passion, really, and I, I think I've taken that discipline and that kind of gut feeling that you have about fashion with me because I understand all the 
and have always understood from very early all on the angles. all the influences and all the angles that come yeah. together to make colour and trend and fabric and, and fashion um, trends as, as and, and I think, you know, that, that does stay with you. The problem that you've got with fashion forecasting is that you're not actually producing Garment. product yourself yeah, and you're not actually, right. you know, in retail. So I yeah, did get to the point where I was like to move on, yeah, so I did. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. What was your, um, what would you say in moving on? What have been the major um, kind of learnings? Have you actively guided the trajectory or have you more found yourself more reacting to opportunities that were available in the market? You know, I think you do both really. I think whilst the industry has yeah. been really good to me, it, it's not a job for life. No. Um, you know, sometimes great jobs come your way and sometimes you have to hustle, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, I've done my fair bit of hustling um but one thing i say is that you know you need to focus on the categories that you really enjoy and i think yeah. as you get more experience you have the luxury to do that yes um, you know i'm at my dream department is somewhere on holiday and you know oh, luckily okay. in my current role i head up okay. that category um and you know i feel that um you've got to also kind of if you can follow your personal style you know, I'm I'm a bit of a yeah. boho babe. Um, I can't ever see myself doing a tailoring range, really. No. I'm that just in case a great tailoring job comes my way. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, you're you know, brilliant at what you do. You have such a great eye for resort. So um, no, I, do, you know, I follow you on Instagram, and you know everything that you have on Star Dictionary is fantastic. I just, I love it. Thank you. There's a lot of dog walking at the minute and a few yes. baking things and lots of pictures of birds in my garden. So I'm <laughs> about that. It's not very influential at the minute. It's quite oh. hard to get, to get good content. Indoors. Yes, because we're just all uh, floating around, so. <laughs> no, but I do, I absolutely love um, kind of resort wear. It's, it's, it's yeah. the most beautiful because it's just, do you know what it is? It's that idea of, oh no, there's my dog now. That's your dog, oh my goodness. Yeah, have my dog next door and now we've got your dog. What happened? Oh, I was the postman. Yeah, uh, sorted. All is well. Um, what, what was I saying about... Um, yeah, I think what it what I love is that that warm, warm, lovely feeling that people have when they go on holiday. It's yes. like you know, if you, I'm going to come probably come on to it later, but that whole idea of you know creating the the most beautiful dress that you're going to wear on holiday is going to be in photographs that you'll have memories of forever. You know, yes. fantastic swimwear that you actually feel lovely and comfortable in that holds you up in the right places, but it's really Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. You know, that idea, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I put my clothes away, winter clothes away, and then I get my summer clothes out. And yes, absolutely. And when I come up, holiday clothes come out, I just sit there and I just pull everything out and just, oh. This just is what's it. been fabulous about being in lockdown and this wonderful weather. I feel like I'm on holiday every day. I went, um, I met with um, one of my, um, one of the girls that used to work for me yesterday. She doesn't live that far from here. And um, we went out and met on um, Wimbledon Common. And it was so nice to see her and be able to just catch up. And she said, oh, I love your bikini because it was so hot. We just said, we'll sit outside and sunbathe. And um, she said, where's it from? She works for La Perla because she's gone back into retail. And I said, oh, it's H&M. She was like, no way. (laughs) They have a good range. They have a really good range and really well made. So... Yeah, and just fantastic stuff that does all the things you want it to do. So it's amazing what you can find. I mean, I go to Miami every year to the um, swimwear show and to Cabana, which is probably my most favourite thing to do in the world. Um, And, you know, it is an incredible explosion of resort and swimwear brands. It's it's just a huge market now. Um, and we see a tiny proportion of that in the UK I feel yeah we do don't you think we do yeah there's a whole load of brands that aren't stocked here here. and yeah our summers are warmer yep but you Um, know there is a lot of you know a lot of retailers have now opened up um, and started swimwear categories yeah so there is becoming you know a, a big 
big opportunity for a lot of retailers. Yeah, there's room in the market for, for more. And I, I agree, there's nothing like holiday clothes to make you feel amazing and create incredible memories. Um, holiday clothes are the most exciting thing to buy. <laughs> and also, I always love the things that I pick up where I go. You know, I always oh, buy so do I. Me. I always, always buy beautiful dresses in Ibiza, only yeah. that come from Bali. So, you know, that's yeah. a good good place to go and source but um yeah those lovely little treasures that you pick up whether it be earrings Absolutely. or a lovely pair of leather sandals i know they, they last forever they never last forever they never time out do There's, they no and you know i remember last summer seeing um girls walking around here in, in london with these really beautiful jewel encrusted sandals and i was like i've never seen anything like that in the uk so i've started to think they come from somewhere i went away with my mom last year and um, we went to part of, we, I've never done a cruise in my life and I'll probably never do one again. But anyway, we did this cruise, long story. Um, one of the first stops was Italy and Capri. And so we, uh, so we get out in the main port um, there. What's it called? You know the name of it. It's gone out of my mind. I've not been to Capri. Haven't you? Have you not? If you've not been to any of the southern part of Italy, oh, is my yeah, God! It's absolutely like Positano, Capri, Naples. and Naples is where I'm thinking of. You've not been to any of those areas. So the boat docked at Naples. We got. We've been to Capri and the whole at the Malfi Coast before. <laughs> so we said, what should we do? Let's go to Capri. So we go to Capri and um, of course that's where the sandals came from. They've got the most incredible little family artisan shoe shops there that many of which have been there for years. You get to Capri, you go all the way up to the top to Anna Capri and these um, specialist sandal shops are just incredible. Um, and we stumbled across one with, it was the third generation, the mom and then the son, and she was training him up. And I bought these incredible sandals all in sale because I think the time of year we went, it was um, end of August or something or beginning of September. And yeah, my goodness, I got all her details. They're not even, they're like barely even online. She said, if there's anything you want, just email me and I'll send you photos. <laughs> And she wow. sends stuff to people all around the me. world. Yeah, she's got customers in, in the States that come and do all their shopping there. Um, and she sends them photos of all the new stuff and they, they just buy. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. But the Amalfi Coast is stunning. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. My mum was, my brother and sister left home. They're a lot older than me. And my parents took me for about, that must be about 12, 13. They took me for about four or five years on the trot. And we did everywhere. The only place we didn't do was Capri. But, you know, I remember, oh, Sorrento. I remember climbing in in Positano, climbing all the way to the top. Yes. Um, And then at the top, some, um, oh, I can remember, lemon sorbet or lemon. That sounds like Capri, where you have the lemon sorbet. They have the same in Capri. Fresh lemons. Oh, yeah. and I still have a passion for lemons because of Absolutely. those. Absolutely. Because yeah, they're, they're stunning. There's nothing like them. They're so beautiful. I know. It's incredible. Um, yeah, so anyway, moving on from shoes, um, which yeah. we can definitely talk about all day in some samples. <laughs> what do you think have been the major learnings from your experience, you know, looking back? Oh, gosh, I learned a lot. Um, I think resilience would be pretty high. I agree. On my list. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly in the last five years, retail has been incredibly difficult. And, you know, I've worked for businesses that have been really successful, but then also, you know, have, have had issues with regards to things like, you know, Brexit being an issue now, obviously yeah. the COVID situation. Yeah. Um, so being resilient and also being able to adapt to change uh, and actually embrace change is really, really important. Yeah. Um, and that's about thinking about how you approach ways of working, how you approach running a budget, how you approach um, the product that you um, that your design your team you and your teams are designing into and the needs of the customer. I also learnt, I think, that it's really important to be yourself. Yeah. Um, and not to try and be something you're not. Yeah. Because we all have weaknesses. Advice. We all have weaknesses and we all have strengths. Yeah. Um, and you can't 
you know, you can't be that person that is untouchable. We all have a, a weakness, but then on the other side of that, you know, we have a, we have strengths that bring something to a team and to a business. So, you know, be yourself. Um, I think the really important thing to me is you're only ever as good as your team. Absolutely. Um, and I would say one of my pieces of advice that actually somebody gave me, um, one of my um, bosses many years ago was that, you know, don't ever be afraid to employ people you think are maybe slightly even better than you. Absolutely. Um, because if you are a good manager and you work together as a team, you know, that, that, that is an advantage for the total team and for the total business. Um, and you have a lot to learn. There's no reason why you can't learn from your team. It's not always the other way around. Um, I think you have to step out and see what's around you. I think it's really easy to get sucked into a business and a brand and believe that they know it all. And actually, you need to observe what's going on around you. You need to learn from other businesses and from other, you know, other colleagues in other businesses. Um, because it's very easy to be suffocated and to become stale. Um, and you can really miss the big picture very much, very often. And I think a lot of businesses and brands do that. They're very insular thinking. Um, and they don't, they don't step outside of their, their boundaries of what they think they can achieve. Um, and, and, and big opportunities can be lost that way. So um, I think those are probably some of the learns. There are hundreds more, but I won't, I won't bore you. I think that's really valuable. I think there's a really valuable learnings. And I've, I've seen that a lot myself where doing the job I do, working with lots of different brands, um, you see how people get stuck, um, whether it's owners of businesses, directors, they they do they get bogged down and stuck in in a certain mindset and very fixated on profit very often um, yeah, I think you know there are some really big initiatives that are going to drive business forward and you know mm. that might be like sustainability it might be something about you know value added product uh, about how you digital how you sell your product and I think that um, very often businesses, particularly in hard times, get really stuck on the today and how do we shift and how do we make the stock that we've got, how do we make profit out of that, how do we protect our business yes. without actually stepping three to five years ahead to plan and future-proof. Um, and that is probably the sign of really good leadership is to be able to juggle those two things together. Yeah. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I could not agree with you more. How do you describe your management style? How do you like to manage people? You touched on management a moment ago and about hiring. I think one of the key elements, my my personal feeling, is that you need to empower your team to be able to do the job that they do the best that they can. Yeah, um, and that comes back to making sure that you you know you've got the best people on the team that you can possibly afford. Yeah, um, you know, very often in my career experience I've managed to take uh, a lot of people with me which is you know interesting nice. you know, I nice. hope that that's for all the right reasons but you know <laughs> I, when I when I kind of latch onto a team that I think are really great you know if the opportunity is there I will always ask them to come with me yes. um, and I enjoy that so there's lots of history which is great so empowering them to do the job that they love you know I mean very often you'll find uh, and I've experienced within my design teams, you know, th that they've never really wanted my job because they're so happy doing what they do, whether it be, a, you know, a fantastic shoe designer or an amazing milliner or somebody who just... They just want the freedom to do what they do best. They're super duper creatives and that's yeah. what they want to do and they want to do their best ability. And the no. idea of some of the management stuff that I get involved in does not appeal. So, yeah. you know, empowering them to do that is is, is great. And actually I'm... I'm better at that now than when I was younger. I think I thought when I was younger, I could do it all. Yeah. Um, I'm so proud of my team. They are incredibly talented, lovely human beings. And, um, you know, I'm so in awe of what <laughs> they can achieve, you know. It's incredible. Um, and I think the other thing as well is you've got to be honest. I think yeah. you've really got to be honest where you can. I mean, obviously, yeah. in some situations in business, you can't always tell your team what you'd like to tell your team um but you have to be honest how you how you can because yeah. we're all grown-ups and we're all adults 
Um, And then lastly, most importantly, gets you through the day is if you cannot have a laugh, then there's no point doing it, in my opinion. Absolutely. My goodness. We love a lot. We love a lot. I'm a bit stupid at times, but... um, Me too. I do like to have fun because oh so do I I don't take any of it too seriously yes you have goals and you have things you need to do but my goodness if you can't laugh it's not gonna be good no and there's a lot to laugh about in fashion there's a lot to laugh about in fashion (laughs) I know oh my goodness absolutely you really can't you really can't you really do have to um always try and see the humor and you know I always think when I'm talking to people and especially when I talk to clients and candidates I always try and find the the humorous elements of things and you know keep it real and you know explore all the different elements of of what people do or what their goals are or what a company what it is a company are looking to hire you know get into the to the detail and definitely you know it's about us as people businesses are made of people it's about personalities so you want it to gel and you want it to be fun it's got to be fun so otherwise why are doing it and how do you manage up you know if you think about the the powers above how do you manage their expectations because that's sometimes challenging uh well obviously you've got to earn your respect haven't you you do Um, the way you do that is you you deliver um I think um, I think you've got to be able to be there to support a, a company strategy, yes. um, and, and find a way in which to do that. That um, you know drives the team. Um, you know, often thinking about different ways of working. I think the important the important thing as well, managing up is knowing when to use your voice, um, and particularly in the design world. I think that you know that poignant idea that becomes an, an obvious solution that's what creatives are good at you know sometimes mm-hmm. we see um a little bit out of the box thinking and making sure that that idea is deliverable is is um relevant to yeah. the issue in hand yeah um, i think creatives are good at that i know i'm good at that thinking out of the box um yeah i love i love a brainstorm um, you know, particularly in a, thinking around strategies and moving businesses forward. You know, I'm always the one with the marker and the clipboard. I'm quite happy yeah. to get up there and write it all down. I love a brainstorm. You know, Let's brainstorm this. Let's brainstorm oh, that. Completely. But actually, I think you get so much valid uh, information out of that kind of, of meeting. I suppose the trick yeah. to that is making sure that um, you see it through because I'm sure definitely across hundreds of offices, hundreds and hundreds of offices across the country, there'll be discarded flip charts in the corner that never actually get action that are full yeah. of genius ideas. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's about, generally it's about earning the respect and making sure that you can deliver against your ideas. Yeah, and I think that kind of answers my next question, which was around the most effective way to be influential. I feel like that kind of answers that. I don't think there's anything else that you want to add to that. Oh, yeah, I do, actually, because I think... Yeah, no, I'm... I'm Yeah. Designers. So designers Designers. have to be some of the most influential... participants in an organization um you know you have to be not only an ideas person an innovator and designer but you're a sales person because unless you can get in front of your audience whether it be a buying team merchandisers marketing press whoever you have to key stakeholders in a business um you have to be the salesperson to sell an idea and often those ideas are unknown Mm. you know Trends and and uh, product can be you know hadn't been hasn't been on the market for years and years and years or it's completely new to the market even better yeah um, and you have to have be a salesperson you have to sell your vision yeah the way you've got to do that obviously is to have a case but also a visual presentation and I you know that's paramount to how we sell in an idea so you know I'm always adamant with my team that their presentation skills which is hard because not all designers like to get up in front of an audience Um, but also their presentations that they pull together are top-notch because 
it's your you know you can only sell an idea if you can visualize an idea in in our world anyway um, and a good influencer they know their product they know their customer and they know their market and if they know all of those things they stand a really good chance of selling in an idea um so yeah being an influencer that's one of the biggest jobs i think a designer has yeah i absolutely agree with you and i've certainly seen that play out through the interview process when i'm recruiting design roles and chatting to people you have people that are very good and will just lay out the inspiration they'll talk you through the the garments they'll talk you through the fabrics their colors they'll give you a complete 360 of of what the vision was and why it should why it was successful um and why you know what what the whole meaning behind the whole strategy of of what they were aiming to do was and then you flip that to the other side and there are people that really struggle to explain themselves so it's i absolutely agree and you know what the difference. i've struggled with that though in in the past uh, because i have had absolutely genius designers that can't explain anything can't i've seen that too and and sadly you know in some situations i've found management really struggle with that yeah and and you know you can't not everybody can be that rounded and, and you no. have to make sometimes you do have to make allowances for those designers that, that yeah, aren't good communicators that aren't good communicators of course and i think there's room for everybody there's always going to be brands that that's okay where they can be in the background they can be focused on what they love to do and they don't have to worry about the presentation side of it and then there's other businesses particularly the retailers where that involvement and the ability to articulate the vision is absolutely critical so it all depends on which area of the industry you work in because um, there's definitely areas that you, you can you can be in in the corner and and not be bothered, and then there's other areas where that just doesn't work. So I think I've learned, you know, you you have to appreciate and only hope that you know you can mentor and guide somebody through building their um, I suppose building their confidence to be able to get in front of an audience. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also you have to accept that that might never be the case, and and, yeah. and you can't disregard somebody's talent because of that. A hundred percent, I agree with you. What was your best experience in your career? Is there like one standout thing that you always cast your mind back to? <laughs> Judging by that face. In the good old days when we all we had money. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I've had a good few, if I'm honest. I think, um, oh, let me think. I'm obviously editing catwalks for Michelle Arnaud when I started out in Paris. Yeah. Pretty fabulous going to the the night before and marking your space vogue at the end of the oh you know it's just genius um, and then having dinner at midnight with all the photographers um, <laughs> taking photographs so that I was twenty one when I worked at the fashion service for the first time they sent me to Ibiza. Oh, wow. Um, with a massive camera and an American Express card, which was oh, going wow. by really exciting new clothes and going photograph people on the streets, the beach, and in the nightclubs. <gasps> and Ooh, me and my oh. friend, yeah, me and my friend Jane Rawlings, who now... Um, I know Jane. Yeah, yeah Min Velvet. Yeah, Min Velvet. She and was in crime. I bet. We, we put, we'd been shown how to use this amazing camera by Michelle. You know, this is how you take street pictures, head to toe, blah, blah, blah. But to get into Pasha and to get into Coup, which was yeah. a privilege, yes, um, that's right. take the camera apart and I'd have a bit down my shorts and she'd have a bit in her bum bag and then we'd go to the toilets and put it all together again because um, you weren't allowed to photograph. You weren't allowed to photograph, no. And that, honestly, I fell in love with the beast at 21. Oh, I'm and not I went surprised. back home here and met a boy there and, and it's been in my heart ever since, you know. Oh. It's, it's definitely in my heart. So that was good. Ooh, what else? Helicopter rides into Monaco to go to the swimwear fair. Oh, wow. Trade shows in Vegas, trade shows in Miami, visiting suppliers all over the world. I suppose... So the travel has really been travel. a yeah. massive inspiration. Yeah, because it opens your mind when you go and you see what's going on in other countries. Oh, I mean, you know, just visiting factories alone. Yeah. The first time I visited India was... I must have been about 25. I was working in head design in Selfridge. And that was a real eye-opener. I mean, yeah. it's very, very different now, India. Obviously, you know. Very different. It's, it's, it's moved It's on. evolved. It's totally evolved. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the factories are not that different. And, and to watch artisans at work is 
is quite incredible, but at the same yeah. time, it could be very distressing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, travel. I think if I think it would be really hard. You get slightly addicted to it. Yes. Um, you know, where am I off to next, and what am I going? What experience am I going to have? And that's been an absolute joy oh. um, in my job. Um, Amazing. Yeah. I can imagine yeah, I've that. I've got lots of great memory. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Also, the thing about travel, I think, as well within this industry, is that you get to know your colleagues really yes, well. Yes, you do. Because you spend a lot of time with them. Yes. And, you know, your relationships really blossom. You might work with somebody for a week and then you get whizzed off to Hong Kong or something. And, yes. and they're your best buddies, you know. So yeah. <laughs> you do accelerate working relationships really fast on all these trips as well. So true, so true. What would you say was your worst experience? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> redundancy. Uh, oh, yeah, that happens to everyone. <laughs> yeah, making people redundant is... Yeah, horrible. Uh, being made redundant. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so yeah, I agree. It's horrid when that happens. I absolutely agree. 100% it's the it's the most depressing thing I have lots of conversations with people about this I always say to them it's the role it's not you so never take it personally sometimes yeah. businesses have yeah. to affect and I think that feels horrible but yeah. it's not you it's not personal it's just the situation and it yeah. means something better out there for you I think it's tough on youngsters that get married because I think it's where resilience it goes back to what you said earlier about resilience it's where resilience comes in and I guess redundancy teaches you resilience yes absolutely and I think you know as you as you get older you can deal with it because you do philosophical and you understand you know the reason why Redundancies happen, and like you yeah. said, you're not you. But I think it's just hard when you're young. more with it, and it can really knock their confidence. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think are the most uh, are the personality traits that are most important to your work? Um, I would say uh, honesty, as I said. Yes, um, I agree. Really it's just no point. Really important. Always be honest. I absolutely agree. It's the most important. Oh, in the end. So you may as well be uh, transparent, honest. Uh, yeah. Possibly, you know, you've got to have a real passion for this industry. You know, if you yeah. don't wake up in the morning and kind of want to understand what's happening in fashion or, you know, look at your Instagram or, you know, just really have a general fashion interest in whatever. anything that has to do with fashion. And it's not just fashion, you know, it's, it's anything that has some, some kind of cultural link to fa- fashion and trend. Yeah. But I think that, you know, one of, one of the things that um, is really important going forward, though, is how we approach um, trend per se and the idea that actually socioeconomic trends that impact the bigger picture are are really something we should be focusing in to help us understand what the retail opportunities are going forward. Because I don't think, you know, we just found out that Gucci is going to do two shows instead of four. Well, thank God, because every show does look rather similar. Um, and, and therefore, you know, I think it's, it's the changing face of, of, of fashion means that we're going to look at how people wear clothes in a completely different way. Um, and I think we're going to look at the functionality of clothes, the transseasonality of clothes, whether they're sustainable, um, you know, whether they've got longevity. Those are the, the important, bigger solutions to understanding the future of retail that we need to really channel. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think... And to look at consumption. Know, in terms of pers- my perception. In, t- in terms of my personal traits, I think I now feel much stronger about understanding the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think adding to that, looking at consumption versus production, what does the world actually need compared to what is yeah. being produced? I mean, the slowdown in consumerism through this COVID period has taught all of us that we need less um, yes. and we need to be more conscious of how we consume Um, And I think, you know, I think we've become less, some of those, some of those industries that circle around fashion, you know, whether it be the influencer or, um, 
I don't know, a blogger. I just, it feels a little bit, feels a little bit arbitrary, a little bit redundant to, to kind of get dressed up at the minute and, and put yourself in that situation where you're, look at me, I'm a style guru and, and follow me. It just feels a little redundant. So we are going to have to really think about the retail fashion industry mm. and what is required and, and be sensible and conscious about how we do things going forward. Yeah. And it's going to be really challenging because at the end of the day, for retail businesses to survive, they have to, they have to sell product. They do. Um, They're going to have to get inventive for sure. Yeah. So I think we, we need to channel, you know, health and well-being, home, comfort, athleisure, um, DIY, gardening, you know, all of those things that we know. I mean, it's just obvious. Those are the things that are selling right now. But I think that's here to stay for some time. I don't think we're going to revert back to needing four to six Gucci collections a year. No, I agree with you. And I think it needs to be simplified for the customer. I think the customer wants that. I think the consumer wants to be able to buy the product they need at the right times. So we don't need the stores full of winter coats in August. We need sell times to start at the appropriate time rather than, you know, halfway through or the beginning of the season. It all needs to shift. Um, One of my lovely um, candidates, Alexander Giansis, shared a rewiring article and some thoughts on that uh, yesterday on um, LinkedIn and um, said made some very good points about how the whole buying cycle works and the show the show cycle works and it all needs to reset and we really do need to go as far as we can with that reset so that things are happening according to the seasons for the countries that are seasonal um it needs to it needs needs to be much more sensible and i'm conscious of time so kind of winding things up i think we've just answered what we think the impact of coronavirus will be and how we see the world looking um how we see the fashion landscape looking in a perfect world on the other side i think that kind of where we've just kind of touched on that i don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that well i i I think just you know i suppose um I think retail strategies have to be at the forefront of the conversation. Yeah. You know, you know, we talked about artisan production as being key yeah. in terms of uh, slowing things down. The focus on less and better is obviously going to be massively amplified. I just really hope though, that the consumer just doesn't revert back to their buying habits because you know that could so easily happen. And I think as retailers, we have the responsibility to slow production down. You know, yeah. make things not overbuy, and you know we need to treat yeah. suppliers. Um, supplies with respect as well it's, it's opened a whole because they're people trying to make a living as well at the end of the day and it should be a joined up effort and one should not be penalised because the other feels all powerful I think that's, that's very very you know, eventually it will be the retailers that struggle because yeah, of there, won't be any, there won't be any manufacturers to work with no that's you know, we couldn't, have, we couldn't have ever seen this global epidemic coming, but, no. you know, we do just now need to pay attention to, you know, some of the big opportunities that it we have. You know, I mean, climate yeah. change was on the table, has been on the table for a long time. And like going back to your point around transseasonality and non-seasonal collections, that will now have hopefully a massive impact you know working from home is going to change the world yes veganism you know is obviously yes. we're talking about food but we're talking about that yeah diet. absolutely yeah. absolutely no, just you know, changing ourselves into health into into the best health is going to be also really key so yeah i agree i'm gonna finish on who would be your dream brand to work for and if you could choose any three people to work in your team, who would they be? It's a really good question. <laughs> a really good question. So, and then uh, you can guess. Okay, so it's not my, it, it's not somebody else's brand, it's my brand. Excellent, um, that's good. It can be your brand. My brand. So going back to the idea of your brand being a representation of the person that you are. Yes. So it's typically 
following our conversation, it's a boutique resort wear brand. Of course. Um, <laughs> I would probably, expect nothing less. Of course. I probably source it in Bali. Of course. Uh, Why wouldn't and you? And sustainable. Yes. And hand dye and embroider the most exquisite beach boho dresses. You know, like that kind of dress I was saying earlier that you'd wear, you know, when you're on a holiday and you're super yeah. tired and it's your last big night out and you've saved your best dress. Yes. Right. So it's that dress. Okay. Um, and it always takes you back. So Florence Welsh would be my muse because she does a boho dress really well. She does. Yeah. Um, Jerice Van Note would be my print designer. Oh, that's a good one. Amazing beautiful print. I'm sublime 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 prints yeah and my kind of um one of my real head operations persons would be uh Sophia Webster oh interesting tell you why Sophia Webster because she's got such amazing energy one her brand is joyful and fun yes yes Yes. but her energy and I watch her because I follow her like you know stalker slightly on Instagram um (laughs) but she's got the most incredible energy and she is got three kids she runs that business she's running it from home right now and I am slightly biased because she ran a competition to give a, a pair of free Sophia Webster trainers to somebody in the NHS. And I I don't know Sophia at all, but what I did do is I nominated my sister who works at King's and is in the front line right now. Um, and luckily she got chosen and my sister got delivered a pair of trainers <gasps> like within 24 hours. Oh. She, they weren't, didn't fit her, so they came back within 12 hours, picked them up, took them back and gave them back to and so her, her whole ideas and concepts of how she is getting through and getting her business through this period is astronomical. And I want her on my team. Oh, I love that. It's fantastic. What a brilliant note to end on. The whole brand would be run remotely yes. from my office beach hut on Formentera. Absolutely. That sounds perfect. That's my and, brand. Yeah. And I hope I can be involved somewhere in the background. <laughs> Because it's wonderful. When, when I need to agree in life. <laughs> yeah, you're there. You're Fantastic. There. Thank you so much for today. It's been absolutely brilliant. Really lovely to talk to you. I'm sure we'll do another one at some point. But thank you. And thank you for sharing all your insights. Really amazing. Thank you so much, too. It's been great talking to you. Have a lovely day. Enjoy the sun. And you. Thank you. Kate reveals how socio-economic factors are important considerations in the fashion design and development process and how having a 360 understanding of all the different fashion disciplines from production, marketing, e-commerce, merchandising, etc. is essential in creating successful collections. If you enjoyed this episode, join me next time when I will be speaking with Naeem Riaz about technical innovation in fabric and garment construction. And if you are enjoying the series, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications on upcoming episodes where you'll get to hear first-hand insights from across the global fashion and creative industries.